1: Good morning, everybody. I'm so glad you're here. This service would not have been the same without you here. Thankful for you. Just so grateful for our church. Thank you for your presence, your worship, your laughter, your compassion for one another, your giving, uh, your endurance. It's just an honor to bring this word this weekend to our church family. We're in a series called The Armor of God, which is an illustration found in the New Testament. Uh, for what to put on and instill in your life to be able to make it to the end and make it through all the struggles that we're going to face in life. And so like many times we do at Rockbrook, we just let the Bible outline the series for us. So we've taken this section on the armor of God and created it uh, as a series and each week going through each piece of it. And last couple weeks, I've set up the context for where this is found in Ephesians 6, and why it's found there, and uh, brought some framework around that. But now we're just diving into each piece of it. And so in Ephesians 6, and by the way, if you want to hear those messages, they're on any podcast app or anything that you'd have, the Rockbrook Church app on our website. You could go back and catch up if you choose, but it says, Put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, And after you have done everything to stand, meaning that in between now and the end, all the struggles and tribulations and trials and temptations and confusion and doubt, everything you're going to face, you can be standing at the end of it. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. So last week we talked about truth, of what is truth, how does it protect us, how do we put it on. We said truth is what God says. That's the truth. And how does it protect me? It protects me against the temptations that I face in my life because temptation is always a lie. And then how do I put it on? And we studied the work of John the Apostle and his words and how truth and love, if they never intersect, if they never meet, they're both worthless. They've got to come together. And you put on truth by acting in love toward others and holding to the truth. And then next, with the breastplate of righteousness in place righteousness. This word righteousness is uh, certainly a Bible word. In fact, it's used just this way, not even any other form of the word. Just this word is over 500 times in the Bible. In fact, uh, there's whole books of the Bible where the theme is righteousness. Like the book of Romans, the theme is righteousness. The book of Galatians is righteousness. And yet, it can be hard for Christians, for believers, To even kind of define this word or pull it out of the air and know what it means, even though we come across it so much. And we must be unsure because we never really use it to describe something or someone. Like we never say, oh, that's righteous, unless your name's Theodore Logan or William S. Preston Esquire of Bill and Ted's Most Excellent Adventure. Then you would use it. I believe our adventure through time has taken a most serious turn I say that all the time. That's my favorite quote from that thing. But when you think of righteousness, what do you think of? Do you think of the turtle in Finding Nemo? Do you think negatively or positively about this word? And what I've found is most Christians, even, but especially the world, thinks predominantly negative about this word. And we think of sh- someone being strict, we think of being scolded. We think of it as being right or wrong. And it comes across as a very heavy word and a heavy idea. When what I see in Scripture and what I want to commend to you today is righteousness is one of the most winsome characteristics we can have as believers. It's one of the most winsome of characteristics that we can have in our world today as followers of Jesus Christ, because righteousness, if you're taking notes, is not found in looking down on others. In other words, righteousness is not found in, look what their family is doing. Our family would never do that. Look at how they parent. When I have kids, I'll never let my kids have that or act like that. Anybody else say things like that before you were a parent and then you became a parent and it's like, oh, okay, can you believe he said that, did that? How could they get the promotion? I work harder and have a better attitude than they do. How could they think that way? They must not know what I know. That's a ridiculous idea. I'm not even going to entertain it. I'm not going to even act like I'm paying attention. I'm just going to dismiss that altogether. Righteousness is not found on looking down on others. How is it found? Righteousness is found in looking up to God. So one time Jesus was with the Pharisees who thought they were righteous and many of them would look down on others. Pharisees, they taught the religious law but they would also teach the, the, the traditions, their traditions on the same plane as the word of God. And they were known for their piety and it fostered a hatred for lots of different groups of people and types of people. And of course they hated the Rome anything Roman including taxation. And so Jews who served as tax collectors were seen as betrayers, horrible people, the lowest of the low. And Jesus told them this story, tells the Pharisees this story about two men who were praying in Luke, uh, where's this at, Grant? Luke 18. Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, For I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. One prayed, "God, thank you that I'm not like that other person over there, a sinner." The other prayed, "Please be merciful to me. I'm a sinner, and I need you." And Jesus asked, "Which one was heard by God? Which one walked away in right standing with God?" The one—it was the one who prayed to God, not the one who looked down on others. A lot of people think if they put others down, it lifts them up or makes them righteous in God's sight. But no, we humble ourselves. You don't look at someone who's struggling or in a worse off condition or struggling with a sin and say, thank God I'm not like that person. What you do is you look at that person, that situation, and you say, that could have been me. That could have been me. That could have been me with that addiction. That could have been me with that struggle. It would have been me in that situation, but for the grace of God. In fact, righteousness, it's not even earned by us. If you're taking notes, righteousness is credited to us. Now, it's not like the lottery. It's not a luck kind of thing. It's God's choice to credit it to us. In Genesis, where uh, Abraham, uh, we see Abraham, one of the first people to have faith, to have faith in God. And the Apostle Paul references, quotes this verse back in Genesis, where he says in Romans 4, what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, wages are, wages are not credited as a gift, but they're an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is, say these three words with me, credited as righteousness. The way to open up that credit to have a deposit, the Bible tells us exactly how, it's through faith. God credits righteousness when we put our faith in Christ Jesus. So let's answer some questions here. Um, And for this week, we're going to answer the same questions as we answered as last week. And that is, what is this piece of armor? How does it protect me and how do I put it on? Because the, the armor of God is not just something you assume is on you. It says you got to put it on, and the armor of God's not just something you pray through, like, God, I put on righteousness. No, there's a way to put it on and a way to have it, and so we're going to ask, what is righteousness? How does it protect me, and how do I wear it? How do I put it on? So number one, what is righteousness? You might write this down. The definition is being made right before God. It starts with being right before God. That I can stand before God knowing that my relationship with him is cleared up. That there's nothing, I can stand before him knowing that there's nothing standing between me and him. It's cleared up. Now what I've just described to you, like you can leave here today knowing that there's nothing standing between you and God. That's impossible. It cannot be done. There's no way for it to happen. There's no way to get to God. There's no way to be right with God. He is so far above, He is much holier. If I were to just have a glimpse of His presence, I couldn't stand up to it. It would knock me out. But Jesus made a way where there is no way. There was no way to get to God and Jesus came to us and just as we sang already today, He did the impossible and He made the impossible possible for us through the cross. Romans 3, 21, but now God has shown us a way to be made right with him. So this translation just gives you the definition. Instead of using the word righteousness, God has shown us a way to be righteous. It says God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, which we couldn't uphold to, which we couldn't do. And being made right with him, this was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. Let's read the rest of this together. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are, no matter Jew or Gentile, no matter your ethnicity, no matter where you came from, no matter what you've done, we are made right with God through Jesus Christ. He's the only way that made, He's the only one who made a way through that which was impossible. And that part of righteousness, this part of righteousness has already been done. But there is more to righteousness because if you study the Bible closely, part of righteousness is also this, becoming right with others as I act rightly before others. So it starts with being right with God. Don't get it backwards. Don't go out and try to get right with your kids and clean up all your relationships and and, and do all these things, and get right in every area of life, and then come to God. No, you go to God. You get righteousness credited to you. Then you start paying that out to other people. That you have that in you now, that you can start spending off that and developing your relationships by acting in new ways toward people. It's it's the greatest commandment: love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Get that right, and love your neighbor as yourself. The righteousness that God credits to my account gives me the ability to do that. On my own, naturally, I don't think that way. I want to return evil for evil. Naturally, I don't, people don't act rightly with one another. But God gives us, through righteousness, the ability to think that way and the ability and the strength to do it, to act rightly even when other people are not acting rightly with us. That's what righteousness is. It's being right with God. That's where it all starts. This thing that the righteousness that the Bible talks about so much. The second question is, how does it protect me? Why would Paul the Apostle include it in the armor of God? Well, there are several accounts of people in history going into a battle who were not right with God and they did not make it. Uh, Maybe you remember this message at the beginning of the summer where we talked about the 12 Israelite spies who went to spy out the promised land and then come back and give a report on what they had found and 10 of the spies give a very negative report and they say this must not be the land that God promised us because I mean there are giants in the land and there's all these problems all this but two two of the spies Joshua and Caleb give a good report And they say, yes, indeed, this is the land God promised. We should do what he's telling us to do. We should go take the land. But the ten negative scouts infected the Israelites with disbelief. And the Israelites decide not to go. So that's kind of where we left that message. But if you continue reading, God struck down the ten and then told the people, you will not, because of your disbelief, you will not see the promised land. Only Joshua and Caleb will, and he had to raise up another generation before they would see the promised land. But that group of people in their disobedience, then they decide, well, we're going to go anyway. And Moses said, why are you disobeying the Lord again? Numbers 14, 42, do not go up because the Lord is not with you. You will be defeated by your enemies. And nevertheless, it says that in their presumption, they went up. Uh, toward this high point in the hill country. They need, Moses didn't go with them. They did not take the presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant, and the Amalekites and the Canaanites pushed them back, defeated them all the way back to Hormah, and they were defeated by their enemies. They weren't right with God, and they didn't make it. Remember, we're talking about this as it's a breastplate of righteousness. That's like what this background is, this piece of armor that what what does it guard It, it guards your most vital organs it guards this play what also what does it guard it guards your heart the most vital organ the heart it protects your heart let's watch this together nation will spend this Saturday observing Veterans Day and those who fought for our country.
2: For one Austin veteran, it is a reminder of how lucky he is. Tonight KXAN's Alicia Inns introduces us to a war hero who not only risked his life, but his life was saved.
0: I got assigned to a machine gun squad.
2: It didn't take long before enlisting in the Army, 73 years ago, before Don Morrison took a hit.
0: i tell you what was the matter. He says you got bad frostbite. That's when they found out I had the mumps.
2: That was in Germany, 1944 during World War Two. Morrison was only 18 years old.
0: Five weeks. I didn't have to be on the front lines
2: when he was healthy enough. It was back to the battlefield where the enemy attacked,
0: and that's when that other one came in. It went across my face that trap. all that you've seen. And. As a hit here, of course, it knocked
2: me out. Fellow soldiers left him, assuming Morrison died, but he says the hand of God intervened.
0: I just carried it that way. I always carried it there.
2: Shrapnel destined for Morrison's heart, blocked by the Bible he carried in his pocket.
0: Had it not been there, there was nothing else stopping it. Only bones.
2: And like a true soldier, he got up and kept fighting.
0: I need to be here with the rest of you. I said, I got a job there to do.
2: With God on his side in the trenches, Alicia Ends, KXAN News.
1: I show you that because the scheme of the enemy is directly aimed at your heart. He's trying to get to the heart of God. He's trying to get to the heart of you. And righteousness protects, secures our relationship with God. So when you look at the fact that I'm standing right before God and the enemy comes with his fiery darts, with his shrapnel, his bullets, all of these things of, well, you did this and you did that and, and you don't deserve this and you don't deserve that. And you're a mess. So you can't even get your own act together, your own life together. How could you lead your family? How could you serve in ministry? How could you, uh, you know, lead this and do this? and You hear those things, you feel those things, but they don't change the truth about you. They don't affect you because God has chosen you and there is something over your heart that is protecting you. That's what it means to live in righteousness. That whenever, maybe I'm not afraid of the enemy, maybe when I'm afraid of God and and I don't want to come near him and I'm running from him and I don't want to pray and I don't want to worship and I don't want to go to church and I don't want God to see me. That whenever we don't have that right standing with Him, what we need is the protection of righteousness. That when I recognize that through Christ I can have a right standing with God, then I come and can have a relationship with Him again and be drawn close to Him again. That I'm forgiven and can live that out of my life. I can live with a sense of protection in my heart and life because my heart is protected from Satan's attacks as I focus on my new relationship with God as I act out this new relationship that I have with others what what is what is righteousness it's being made right before God how does righteousness protect me it protects me from all the flaming arrows of Satan that are trying to pierce my heart but then how do I put it on how do I wear it what does it look like before we look at how to put it on, let me just give you a warning here. And let me give you two, I'll give you two ideas of how to put it on. But first, the Bible gives a very clear warning do not try to make your own righteousness, do not try to craft your own breastplate of righteousness. We stand in God's mighty power, not our own. And this is not about us, this is about King Jesus. So don't try to build it yourself. I heard one pastor say, Trying to make your own righteousness is like cutting your own hair. You're always going to come up a bit short somewhere, right? You can't get it all. It's going to, you're going to, not going to make it. So trying to make your own righteousness, no person can do it. Let's just hear this warning from the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3. He says, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. So he says, if you think you can make it on your own works and your own efforts and because of who you are, he's like, well, let me tell you a little bit about me. Because I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness... Wow, I obeyed the law without fault, he says. I once thought these things were valuable. Me, I mean, I thought those things would make me right with God. I thought they would make me righteous. I thought they would save me. But now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised Him from the dead. I want to suffer with Him, sharing in His death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection of the dead. Paul says, I tried. Because I was the best Hebrew, I was the best Pharisee, I kept all the the law. But he he tells us in his writings, the law didn't save me. It revealed that I could not make it to God. It revealed who I am. It revealed That I am a sinner and that I don't need another system. I need a Savior. I need Jesus. So, two ideas from Scripture. How do we take off this old way of righteousness and put on this new way of righteousness? How do I wear righteousness? First, Scripture says to hunger for it. Jesus says, if you hunger for it, my promise to you is you will be satisfied, you will be fulfilled. Matthew 5, 6, Jesus says, let's read this out loud together. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Filled, fulfilled, satisfied, Jesus is your portion. And Satan tries to thwart this by getting us to fill up on something else. It's sort of like, maybe you're headed to an anniversary dinner at a nice restaurant and on the way there, you're driving there, you have reservation, the whole thing is going to be great. On the way there, you say, honey, let's start at, uh, let, let's stop at Taco Bell and get some tacos on the way. And you eat 10 tacos on the way to, I call it toxic hell, Taco Bell, toxic hell. Anyway, sorry, okay, all right. <laughs> Didn't know we had so many Taco Bell fans here, all right. <laughs> But then you fill up on this other thing and then you go and you can't be satisfied by the meal. You say, no, I'm not gonna meet my own needs. I'm not gonna be satisfied by my own thing, my own way. I'm going to wait and let God satisfy my needs. And when you say that, you're developing a hunger For righteousness, a thirst for righteousness that you can develop in your life, and He promises He will satisfy. If you want a better relationship with God, if you want a a better relationship with others, if you want to begin to live out more of the Christian life, if you want the things that the Bible says you can have in your life between you and God and you and others, you continue to desire, pray, seek those wants, and God will bring your life in compliance with the things, the, the righteous things that you're desiring. How do you develop a hunger and a thirst for righteousness? You develop this hunger by focusing on the things you want to be hungry for. You focus on what would it mean to live out that new lifestyle? What would it mean to live out the fruits of the spirit and to have those in my life? And you focus on how would it feel to know God more and to know him in this kind of way? It wouldn't it be great if, if he filled and satisfied this desire in this area. But the temptation that we come, comes into our life is, well, wouldn't it be great if, if I did that? Or if I satisfied this my own way? And the enemy stokes that, yes, this is what you need and you should do this and you should get this and you'll be free. And by focusing on it, you get closer and closer to the thing you focus on. It's like when you're driving down uh, the highway And maybe you look look over at something on the scenery. And then when you look back at the lane, you notice you've kind of drifted that way. You drift towards what you're focused on. We move toward what we're focused on. And so if you focus on what it would feel like, and we do this all the time. We go, man, what would it feel like if I just quit my job? What would it feel like if, if I told this person off and told them what what they really need to hear, what would it feel like if I were with this person or if I left this thing what what would it we dwell even on past things of oh man, I should have said this I should have given that comeback we worry about the future and think, man what will happen, and we dwell on all these things, but what what, what would it feel like if you allowed yourself to spend some time to to develop the hunger and say, man, what would it be like if I said yes to God in that situation? What would it feel like? What would it be like if I, if through the power of God I stayed faithful there? And you let yourself daydream about that and think about that rather than the temptation. You see, when you focus and you develop a hunger for righteousness, what that is, it's temptation in reverse. Instead of dwelling on The lie and man could I get away with that what would it look like if I weren't faithful in that and just gave it up you flip that over and temptations reverse it what if what would it feel like if God gave me the faithfulness to make it through this and you reverse the temptation this week I was in a a prayer gathering with um, hundreds of people and we were praying corporately meaning like praying together and and uh, altogether. But then there was this moment in the service where we had an individual prayer time and people were doing many different things. Some people were pacing, some people were kneeling, some people were reading scripture. And um, I chose to just sit there and reverse temptation and and just think about what would it be like if I said yes to God throughout the, the rest of this marriage and loved my wife my whole life. What would it be like if... Um, just had the fruit of the spirit in the situation the circumstance i don't know what to do and there was just love and joy and peace and i just imagined the circumstance that i was in that i'm struggling with right now that if there were peace in it and i just thought about my kids and man what would it look like if i said yes to god in this way that i want to parent my kids and was faithful and successful and, I was just thinking about those kind of things, just trying to reverse temptation. Anything that popped in my mind that I was worrying about, what if if God took care of that? And after the prayer time, someone comes up to me and says, what were you doing during the prayer time? And I was like, what do you mean, what was I doing? They said, well, I got up at one point, turned around and looked back, and you've got the biggest, goofiest smile on your face with your eyes closed, just sitting there. And I didn't know I was doing that. I'm just trying to reverse all the temptations worries and thoughts in my mind and it brings peace and develop a hunger for righteousness that's one way to put on the breastplate of righteousness another way number two is you offer yourself to God there's two things that I just see in scripture connected to righteousness that we put them on who can ascend the hill of the Lord but those who have clean hands and a pure heart Romans six eighteen through 19 says you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I'm using an example, he says, from everyday life because of your human limitations. So here he starts giving the example that he's giving this illustration, that just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves, and so this is an illustration because the people he's writing to, there were maybe a third of them in slavery. And it's not slavery like kidnapping slavery or ethnic slavery. It's most often like a bond servant slavery where uh, they were enslaved to this person to pay off a debt, or they were enslaved to this person because their parents gave them up because the parents were like, at least they'll have a place to stay, at least they'll have food. And so they would, people would offer themselves into slavery. But here's the twist, here's the illustration. He says, just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and ever-increasing wickedness, now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. That you give yourself over to that thing, you offer yourself to that thing. And the greatest thing about that is when you make that choice, you've never felt freer in your life. It's the paradox of it all. That the enemy will prompt, will tempt you and say, no, you're gonna become less of who you are. You're not gonna to get to do the things that you don't wanna do. Don't change your life, you don't wanna change. But when you give yourself over to God, you offer yourself to God, you become, you begin to become who God created you to be. And it's the most freeing thing in the world. So we offer ourselves. In other words, we don't listen to ourselves, we offer ourselves. Don't listen to your body, offer your body. It's a sacrifice. Heard a pastor talking to an arena of young people recently. Man, what he said stuck with me. He said, if there's any one concern I have for your generation, like my biggest concern for your generation, and he looked at all those young people and he said, your generation values your own thoughts too highly. When God's, thought, when God's clear, my thoughts are not your thoughts. And he says your generation values your own feelings too highly, when God says my ways are not your ways. And so we don't listen to our own thoughts, we don't listen to ourselves, we offer ourselves that God is the one who tells the truth. Satan is a liar, God tells the truth. The truth is what God says. When you and I make ourselves a slave to what is right, when we say, I'm gonna offer myself to that, it doesn't take away our personality, it doesn't take away who we are. It fills us up and we're fulfilled like never before. The Bible tells us how to get this righteousness, that you can have it today, that you can be made right with God today. And if you'd say, you know what, I'm not right with God, Maybe you would say today, I'm, I'm running from God or hiding from God. Or maybe you're watching online, or listening this week, and you say, I just didn't, couldn't even come to church. So you're keeping this area, maybe part of your life in the dark. And you know, you feel it, your sin is separating you from God and there's something standing between you and God. You can have that removed. Second Corinthians 521 says, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, to take on that sin, to take on our unrighteousness, so He could remove it, that we might become the righteousness of God. All these things, we put them on in Christ, they're found in Him. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, we thank you for righteousness, that we don't have to earn it, but you can credit it to us. And we need that to happen. We can't achieve it. We can't get it on our own. We can't make our own. But we recognize we need it to be standing at the end to make it through all the battles we're going to face, all the disappointments, all the discouragements, all the doubts, all the temptations. So, Lord, we think to you. We look to you and we think about what you want us to think about. We need our heart protected in this battle. And God, we we stand up again uh, to fight, to hunger, to thirst. And just think about right now, just take a moment. Think about what's good and right and pleasing. What would it be like if God took care of all these worries? What would it be like if the fruit of the Spirit was upon me? What would it be like if I waited waited for God to provide and then now in worship over these next few songs let's just offer our lives our bodies to God the Lord we are created by you we're sustained by you and we are yours to do with what you please and so we surrender to you today In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love for you to get connected to what's going on at
0: Rockbrook Church. Visit us online at rockbrook.org for service times, small group information, and other ways you can discover your purpose here on
1: earth.